What up, homie? How you feeling? Hey, man. What's good? You know, <clears throat> so at the beginning, we do these things, right, where we talk about the the machinations of of, yeah. of the Rodney, of the, yeah. the new thing I'm trying or doing or whatever. And yeah. it has come to my attention that this could inadvertently spur consumerism or feeling like I need to try a new thing. Mm. That is not at all my goal. I'm just sharing this silly goings on. And really, it's the dynamic between me and you because I'm like, hey, I'm trying blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yep, nope, nope, yep. nope, nope, nope. Because, <laughs> hey, the reality is I don't try 98% of these things. I'm not getting a matcha machine. I'm hey. not going on a soup cleanse. I'm not. When 99.9% going... of them show up at the door, my wife is like, why? What? What's, what's, what, 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 why do you need that? So, what is it? So, so today's shtick is just a public service announcement that if for whatever reason this makes you feel pressured to try it, you don't have to. Don't I feel don't. that. In fact, call me because I can tell you which of the things have worked long term and which haven't. Mm. And it's higher fail rate than not. But sometimes what you this, what this what really ain't. is is to show you that we are accessible and you can hit us up on the IG anytime, and Rodney will talk to you about it. DMs are open, as the, as the kids say. The DMs are open. You can, you can add me. Welcome back to the More In Common podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with my guy, Rodney what it is we are here anchoring humanity and compassionate conversation and hopefully inspiring some actual genuine human connection that's what we're doing with our guests we are focusing on compassionate conversation we're focusing on compassion a thing that that we can give to anybody regardless of agreeing regarding regardless of political affiliation regardless of, of, of race creed ethnicity it don't matter Everybody can get it because you're human. That's why compassion is our thing. We are about to get into an amazing conversation with Simone. Keith, what did you, what, what, like, what are we about to talk about? That's right. Simone Canego. We talk about a lot of things, but we get really into uh, the use of saying, I don't see color. And then we just talk about that journey of self-discovery um, pursuit of the things that you enjoy so you can live life to your fullest. And um, she's a pretty awesome person. What'd you take away from it? Uh, also, the, the importance of, of knowing what you want and using that as a framework to make decisions. And uh, her goal of raising good humans and what that means, what it's about. Mm. And uh, th- yeah, if, if, you, if you're trying to grow and develop and you're trying to do anything new, this conversation will probably have something in it for you. That's it. And before we get into this conversation, as a reminder, you can find all things More In Common at moreincommonent.com. Go check us out, and we will let you on to this conversation. Our kids are, you know, they're they're open books. They're, they... They're sponges. They're taking everything in. And, you know, I look at, I remember once with my daughter, um, our youngest daughter, uh, Millie, and she's she's from Ethiopia. And she was on the playground one day and a little girl came up to her and asked her why her skin was so dark. And she said, because I'm black. 
And that was like the end of the, the conversation. They went and got on the, the swings and went on from there. tell you about something pretty amazing that we stumbled upon a little ways back we interviewed this amazing dude Kwame Bowen and he shared with me after the episode that his mother is a poet and what's awesome about that is that he has all of her writings and all her poems but what he doesn't have is her reading them that inspired Keith and I to then start recording videos for our daughters and as we started recording those videos, we started running into the challenges, the challenges of where are we going to send them to our daughters? How are we going to get them to them? Where are we going to save them? Is it going to be Google Drive? Is it going to be OneDrive? And then along came GiftPod. It's an audio memory that you can record and give as a private podcast. What they're going to do is edit, add music, and produce the audio that you provide them into a professional podcast that you can share with your family members for any purpose. We use it for our daughters in the future. All right, so check it out. In the write-up for this podcast, you're going to see a link to GiftPod. If you use promo code MIC10, you're going to get a discount. And uh, leave some amazing memories for your friends, family, loved ones, maybe for yourself. Why, why don't you time capsule this for yourself? I don't know. So check them out. Giveagiftpod.com. MIC10 promo code. Simone Canego is a wife, a mother of six children and three dogs, a serial entrepreneur, a keynote speaker, and an author who is making major strides in the world through her work. She began her professional life as a certified public accountant, a CPA. She's also been a teacher, a medical device salesperson, and she's even climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, among other things. This journey of hers has helped her realize that she has the ability to inspire others dedicate time and resources to projects that are both personal and charitable that can make a difference in other people's lives. Finding a love for public speaking and having written the book, The Extraordinary Unordinary You, she motivates others to see themselves differently so they can impact the world the way they were created to. Welcome to the show, Simone. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me here. We're excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Indeed. So to kick off the show, on your site, you talk about embracing the diversity of your family. You've adopted a few children. Um, and in that, you talk about seeing color. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, all too common these days and historically to erase the memory of racism, we like to hear ourselves say, I don't see color. Um, by we, I'm using the universal we, yeah. of course. And you straight up say, we see color. So my question is, how did you come to embrace that mentality? When, when you have a multicultural family, to say that you don't see color means that everybody isn't on the same equal plane. Um, you know, we see color, we respect the colors that we see. And, you know, we want each of our children to be proud and have self-esteem in exactly who they are. And for us, it's really important to say, you know, that, yes, I am black. Yes, I am white. Yes, I am Asian, whatever you are. And to see that person for exactly who they are. You know, there's a um, great quote by Maya Angelou that said, um, you know, not exactly, but every human is integral to the fabric of society, no matter their color. 
Um, and again, I think that is, you know, we are, we all make up this amazing fabric of society and we have to see each other for who, you know, we are. Otherwise, how do we respect the other person if we say, oh, I don't see your color. You know, I just see you as a human. Yes, because you're proud of being black or you're proud of being Asian. We should see you for who you are. I, it's such an interesting um, thing that I, I, I personally believe is, is necessary because of historical context. Um, if we were all born on the planet, everybody born in different regions of the world, and our pigmentation and our physical appearance were just a matter of where we were born, which is essentially what it is, then, and we all had the same cultural experience, and we all got together, and we just said, oh, I don't see color, versus, oh, I wonder why you have that color. Okay, that's one thing. We could easily come to that equal state, but with historical context, it's, it's, it, it matters to the life experience of Rodney versus me um because you said you know we're not an equal plane if we don't see it what i want to go into it a little bit more because I, I don't i don't know in that even in your example keith i don't even know if that would be healthy but i'm curious what you think simone what is it that happens to somebody when you when when you say i don't see color or to a group like what, what is it that you've seen I mean, it just depends. I think, you know, people think that the proper thing to say is that I don't see color. I think that's what society has conditioned us to say, like, that's, those are the appropriate words to use, um, basically to start the anti-racist conversation. Um, but I don't think that is, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's valid again, because I think that, you know, do you not see blue and red when you look at a, the American flag, right? You do see color. So when you look at a human, you should see them for um, exactly who they are. But what you should also see is that, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what color anybody is. It's that their value is always the same. And I think that's really the biggest piece. And I think, but I do think that society has conditioned us to say, oh, I don't, I don't see color because mm -hmm. people feel like that's the appropriate thing to say. There was a sentiment of, and, and I think it got conflated with what you just said, Simone. Um, I don't see difference or we're not different. And, and that was, I think, the original idea behind this statement. It just turns out that it's not necessarily equal, saying I don't see color and, and then adding the historical context that you were just talking about. It's like, well, there's still some issues that are based on the, the differences in colors. So something's not adding up here. But um, no, I think that's I think that's helpful. I, I think uh, there's also kind of a an element of erasure um, when you tell me you don't see my color. Like I, it is to Simone, you said it beautifully. Like if you were looking at the rainbow, I see red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet. I see those unless I'm colorblind. If that and if I'm colorblind, then I see different shades. But I still see like it's not all the same. And in not acknowledging my differences, you don't acknowledge me. That's a big part of it. I mean, I think it's a part of, of respect, and at least for me, this is the way I see it, is that by acknowledging um, color, by acknowledging race, by wh whatever you want to acknowledge, it means that, you know, you're learning, you know, and for me, every day is, is learning, right? Like, it's okay to make mistakes, but realize that, you know, there are so many different people out there in the world and we're we're different in so many ways and that's what we need to embrace um and i think that by just kind of saying oh i don't i don't see that um 
I don't think you're embracing the person when you say that personally. I think we're like, we're like training a, a really basic cognitive dissonance. Because a lot of times what happens is a child being a child will say something like, why is his skin brown? Or why is, you know, why, why is her skin different? And a parent in an, either in being busy or not knowing what to say or being embarrassed will say something like, oh, we don't see color. There, there's, there's no, and the kid is going, what? But this doesn't equal, we're not, we don't look the same. What's different? And by just that little seed, I think it just starts this dissonance. And then you add in society and all the layers of things that have happened historically, then it gets to be a bigger issue. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, our kids are, you know, they're, they're open books. They're, they, they're sponges. They're taking everything in. And, you know, I look at, I remember once with my daughter, um, our youngest daughter, uh, Millie, and she's, she's from Ethiopia. And she was on the playground one day and a little girl came up to her and asked her why her skin was so dark. And she said, because I'm black. And that was like the end of the the conversation. They went and got on the the swings and went on from there. Like it wasn't it wasn't judgment. There was curiosity, and I think yeah. that's a really important um, thing to kind of touch on. Is that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to make mistakes as long as you know really your heart is true to what you're asking about. Yeah, there's. Um, I listened to an interview between James Baldwin and another older white philosopher from like the 50s or 60s and the white philosopher aside from doing many many things that will make anybody um cringe today very much anchored on that i don't why does it have to be that you're black i don't see that doesn't that doesn't resonate with me and it is it has weaved its way into white society to create space and it's and it and it disrespects i love the way you put it disrespects the historical context of lived experience that is just a socially different between the two of us and culturally because you just have a different culture that is rooted in your racial experience or your cultural experience or whatever it is and by simply just saying no i i, I only see you as human rodney you're that's me disrespecting your existence and whatever took you to the moment that you are today. I don't have to hate you for it. Bigotry and prejudice are two different things than seeing color. Um, how did you come to that point, Simone? Have you always thought that? No, definitely not. I, you know, I think growing up, you know, my, you know, my parents were definitely of that, you know, we don't see color or, you know, like we don't say things like, you know, we, we, we do, this is not what we do. Um, you know, and I think it wasn't until, um, this was our family that we were like, that's not a statement we want to make. We do see color. We embrace our differences and that's so important to us, but it did take having this family to have that kind of realization that, wait, that's not the way to look at things. Mm. What for the audience's purposes, what is the dynamic of your family? So we have six kids. Um, my husband and I have been married for almost 28 years now. And um, we, our oldest three look just like me. And the um, we adopted our youngest three. So we have two children from Ethiopia, um, a boy and a girl, and um, a boy from South Korea. Um, so, you know, and it's exactly how we 
want it. It's exactly how we love it. And we are very proud of, of, you know, what we bring, you know, to, to the world, I would say, you know, because we do embrace life exactly how we see it. Did you adopt your two from Ethiopia first? No. So Noah was our first adoption. So he was from South Korea. He came home at four months old. Then we adopted Ari from Ethiopia. He came home at four and a half years old. And then Millie, also from Ethiopia, two and a half years old. So what in that experience, because I I mean, it's easy to see how someone could say, see, I don't see color, right? Mm-hmm. I'll adopt anybody. What changed your 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 mindset, your mentality on that issue um, after you you uh, adopted Ari and Millie. Yeah, I think really understanding that you're not truly honoring that person if you mm. don't, you know, if you don't see them for exactly who they are. I can never, you know, walk in their shoes, right? Yeah. I I I can never walk in anybody else's shoes, you know, because our experiences are never going to be the same. But I can show them, you know, the respect that I believe every person deserves, and that is by respecting them for exactly who they are and understanding that being black versus being white is a difference of color. It's not a difference of, of, of judgment. It's, it's a piece of who you are. Mm. Was that switch for you like instant? Did it take time? Did it take something happening? I'm, I'm just very curious for, for this journey for you. Yeah, I think, um, it, it took a little time. Um, mm. and, and I wasn't thinking about it. You know, it wasn't like on my mind all the time, like, oh, you know, we don't see color. It, it, it wasn't really part of my train of thought until there was a moment where the kids were at summer camp. And, um, you know, it was like probably two years after Ari had come home. And, you know, there was a kid, you know, saying something about Ari being black. And then it was at that moment where I said, and that's exa- he needs to be proud for being black. And there's no, you know, there, this is the discussion of that, you know, we are not all the same, but we should be treated as equals. And, you know, I think that was a really um, a, a moment for me where I was like, wait, yeah, he's black, you know, and, you know, he's not white. And let's, you know, let's let's have that conversation um, mm. because you shouldn't be colorblind because that doesn't, you know, honor who he is. Mm. That's good. I think that's awesome because I, I I'm super invested in this this conversation changing. Like we need to stop saying I don't see color just because it it really adds to the the current and historical frame of you know race is no longer a problem in this country. And um, until we can get out of our own way culturally, then th- that mountain is way too high to climb. It's very Buddhist. Uh, I do have know. another question about adoption. What what was your think? What was your, the family's thinking and in going into adoption? What was some of the things that went into that those decisions? Yeah, um, you know, I think that really the the background is that we we felt we still feel that there are so many amazing kids in the world just waiting for a family to love them, and and we could be that family. And our kids were, you know, our older kids were, you know, open totally open to this discussion. I'm sure it looks like a really cool thing. Ooh, we're getting a new sibling. Um, you know, but we actually made it a family conversation. 
Um, which is funny because like, if we were going to give birth to a child, we didn't ask the other kids what they thought, you know, that was kind of like, Oh, we're just doing it, you know? Um, but when it came to adoption, we sat down as a family each time and kind of talked about it because, you know, it takes a village, right? Like it's, it's not just me, you know, once you hit three kids, you know, you're getting to, uh, you know, uh, zone defense almost. So beyond that, it's, it's a lot and everybody has to help out and participate. And so we would do a family vote. And, um, I think one of my favorite stories and, you know, I'm really, my, my goal in life is to raise good humans. That's really my ultimate Mm -hmm. goal. Um, Mm -hmm. and we had already had, we have five kids now and we sat down at the table to talk to them about adopting again. And we, took a blind vote each time. So this was, you know, blind vote number three, obviously when they were little, it was kind of like, ah, yes, exactly. But this time, it, you know, now we're talking six kids, the mini van will be completely full. Yeah. Like this is, this is a lot. And, you yeah. know, instantly, you know, we handed them pieces of paper and instantly Olivia wrote down her answer, pushed it back to me, like without me even finishing my sentence. And I said, Olivia, you didn't hesitate. And of course, every vote, everybody voted yes. Um, but I said, you didn't hesitate. And she said, Mom, we're talking about the life of another child. How could anyone vote no? I'm like, okay. Wow. Raising good humans. I'm doing yeah. my best. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, how old were your kids when you first adopted um, or um, Ari and Millie? So for Ari and so Noah, when we adopted Noah, Jacob was 10 because he actually Noah went. first. Yeah. Right. He went with me to South Korea to um, bring Noah home. And so that was a really uh, fun experience. And then, so Jacob is 24 now and Millie is 13. So he was, and he, he went with me. We, each time we brought different kids with us to, to have this experience. And so when we brought Ari home, um, we took Olivia and Emma with us and they were like seven and five at the time. And, you know, that was a, that was a really interesting experience kind of seeing this journey through their eyes. Right. And, and then the last time Jacob came with me to bring Millie home and, um, he was, he was 13 13. when, uh, yeah, that is, that's cool. You made it a family discussion. I, I I like that. I like that concept. Um, it's been a conversation that we've kind of, we started to have a little bit, um, any any tips you would give somebody who would who who would consider uh, yeah. adoption? Yeah, absolutely. Patience, um, and and don't give up. You know, I think a lot of times we approach situations and think, oh, it's never going to happen, or this, you know, you know, I've I've waited so long. I'm just, what's the point? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna continue waiting. It's not going to happen for us. And I really think um, patience. And having conversations with other people so that you know that you're not alone. I think that's a really important piece of everything in life is that, you know, knowing that the struggles you're going through, other people are struggling as well and kind of reaching out and having those human connections so that you really feel like um, it's not just you. And, you know, it's the best three things, you know, we've ever done. Okay. Other than the other three. So it's the best six (laughs) things we've ever done. Um, But yeah, I mean, it, I just think for us, not just, you know, in terms of having a bigger family, but seeing the world in a completely different, different light, you know, these, our, our kids, our younger kids really, you know, they started at a place of loss. You know, when you think about it, Ari was four and a half years old um, and he, 
you know, he lost everything that he knew. And um, our our place is to try to just, you know, support him and kind of build pieces back up, not not to replace. I mean, there's no and there's no savior piece here. Like there there mm-hmm. isn't you know, that is not what adoption is about. And I think if you go into it, understanding those pieces, you know, it's these kids have struggled and, you know, we just want to make them understand that they are truly part of our family and that there's no difference between giving birth to a child and adopting a child that, you know, they're all exactly the same in terms of their value in our family. Prior to this actual conversation, when we did the activation mm-hmm. questions, you said one of the things you like to tell young people is to not be so hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. And Keith and I specifically have struggled very much with this. Like that was our framework. Like be hard on yourself. That's how you get better. That was yeah, kind exactly. of like and I have go to, to be like, as the most... hard on myself as anybody will ever be collectively, or else I will not improve. That yeah. was like my badge yeah. of honor. You yeah. will never yeah. be harder on me yeah. than me. <laughs> totally. That's right. You understand it? Yeah. I yeah. will beat the shit out of myself. <laughs> and, and I'm yeah. proud of it. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm going to live is, with it. It has resulted in, in lots of shame. Um, but like, how do you, so when you say don't be so hard on yourself, like, what are you meaning? And then like, how do you think about that for yourself and for your children, for your family? So, you know, when I was a teenager, it was always focused on getting to the next step, right? Like you had to do this, you know, you had to get these grades so that you could get into college. You can't make these bad decisions because, you know, like that, what will other people think? Um, You know, there was, there was so much of that. And I think that I never kind of gave myself a break to really say, what do you want? You know, are you doing what everybody else wants? Are you doing what you want? And I, it, it took, I'm 48 years old now. It took until just a few years ago where I realized what I really want. I've tried many things in, in my life for um, professionally. And what I realized is that I really like being a storyteller. I like having conversations. I like putting messages out there. If I can any, that I can share something that's happened in my life that maybe could help one person, one person, that's all it needs to help. Then it's worth sharing. Um, but I think we do, we go, we go through, you know, life looking at, okay, what's, what's the finish line versus what's the journey. And so if I look back at my teenage self, you know, I would have said, take a step back and, and enjoy the moments that you're having instead of rushing to get to something else. And, you know, luckily it worked out, it worked out good for me, but I mean, think about it. I got married when I was 21 years old. I had my first child at 24. My oldest son is now 24. Like, hello, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Do not. You know? (laughs) And and I'm really big about don't like, don't rush through this. This is life. Like this is you're supposed to be enjoying these moments. Don't be so hard on yourself. Like everybody makes mistakes. It's important to fail so that you can learn from it and move on. Um, but I think we, you know, so many times we're our own worst critic for sure. And really taking that step back to say, does that really matter? Is that really, are you hurting anybody else by what you're doing? Are you helping anybody else? Really taking that step back, I think really kind of, um, you know, for me, it works really well to to look at things that way. As you were saying, as you were going through that, Simone, I kind of thought of um, like, what do you want? And then then you just added the, you know, what's really important. It, it kind of, uh, it, it, they're kind of grounding questions. They almost help 
pull away the expectations. And I think a lot of those voices in my head of me beating myself up were actually self-projections of like what I thought my parents wanted or what I thought mm-hmm. other people wanted or needed of me. And I was beating myself up and trying to hold myself to these standards of things that I probably didn't actually care about, which caused a lot of confusion. Yeah, and yeah for sure. I mean, I, I you know, when I was, you know, um, for me, it was, okay, what did I do? What did I want to do versus what I did in school? You know, I went to college for um, accounting. I have a master's in accounting and I'm a CPA. What did I want to do? I wanted to be an actress. What did mm. my parents say? No way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like a lot, and I have, I have, my dad passed away two years ago, but I have, I have wonderful, oh, wonderful parents. Thank you. Um, so, but it was, it was me, right? Like I, I didn't know truly what I, I mean, I say I wanted to be an actress. Did I know anything about it? No. Um, but you know, like, I think that we, we forget that again, we have this one life and we should, we should want the things that we're doing. Um, we shouldn't just do it because other people are expecting them. Certain things we have to do, um, paying the bills is one of them, but I mean, the expectations of other people, it really should be, we should be looking at ourselves and saying, stop being so hard on yourself. Like these things all get worked out. Our society is kind of built around this, like do what's expected. And I, and I'm, I just kind of started thinking through college. Like most people do not do what they got their degree in. That's broken. Like we treat it as a badge of honor. Like, oh, I don't, I don't do what I studied. That's a waste yeah. of time and money. Like, why yeah. is that? That's not good. But we, in culturally, we're kind of like, oh yeah, well, you know, got a general major and now, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, or a specific major, I'm sorry. And like, I don't do that. And that's okay. Like, why do I don't know why we look up to that or why we allow that. Are we really old enough at, you know, 18 years old to know what we want for the rest of our lives? I mean, I think that's like, you know, a grounding question that, you know, I always look back at. And that's when I look at my kids and, you know, I have one that's doing a master's right now and two that are in college, like choose something that you love and understand that it may change later because it changed for me so many times. And again, don't look back in yourself and say, oh, well, I can't believe I did that. Say, okay, this, this piece of my journey, you know, got me to where I am today. Right. Yeah. So these decisions like you wouldn't have met the person that you met or, you know, all of those kinds of things. But I agree. I think that at 18 years old, 17 years old, when you're applying, whatever, like you're too young to know what you want. I mean, I brain's still developing. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're fortunate enough to have that in you and that so few people do. And I think the people that do create an unrealistic expectation for the vast majority of us who think too much about what and not about the things that we just get energy out of. I think there's such a redesign of undergrad because at this point, undergrad is all about college experience. It's about learning to live on your own. It's about socializing. It's about independence, about freedom. So why can't it be about exploring degree? Why is it that I can't get a degree and just try different things and experience different things? And then if at the end of four years, you really find this is what you love, then you go into, I don't know, an apprenticeship or some sort of expertise because that's what an that's what a master's is at this point and a phd it's like okay i just got four years of an accounting degree no one's going to take you on as an accountant right 
right? Yeah. Unless you get your master's in accounting, right? right. So right. what what good, even if you do follow that path as an undergraduate degree, if we're going to anchor it, I think it just needs to be redesigned and reconsidered depending on what universities want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I think so as well. But you know, again, that's not my not my expertise. Yeah, I'm not, but I can I'm not say here from, to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I but I would say that um, the the point about that you know how do we how do we know what we want at that age? And even when we start it, you know, and then we finish it, and then we yeah we do we say oh yeah I got a degree in this, but I don't use it. Um, yeah, really, of what value is that to, and then having the people that do know what they want. My husband was one of those people. He knew what he wanted from the time mm -hmm. he was a kid. Yeah. Um, and then you have those people around you and you feel so pressured that you yeah. have to, you know, when I was in school, we had the 80 hour rule. You had to commit to a major by the time you got to whatever, 80 hours, you had to be mm -hmm. in your major at 80 hours. And I didn't know what I wanted, you know, at 120 hours. <laughs> I don't know what I wanted 10 years later. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I feel that uh yeah. yeah so from so when rodney to rodney's point about the activation question of telling kids don't be so hard on mm -hmm. yourselves at 14 you had great parents but what led to you being so hard on yourself because if you were to talk to yourself then and tell yourself that would you have listened no not 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 back then i wouldn't have yeah. um so, I mean, that's, that's the hard piece, right? So, you know, why was I so hard? You know, I looked at my parents who were both physicians and, you know, my mom, she grew up in rural Pennsylvania. Her mom had a sixth grade education. Her dad worked in a brewery in the coal mines and she knew she wanted to be educated. Um, she didn't see a library until she was in 10th grade. Wow. And yeah, and um, she worked for another family starting at 13. Um, she got into the University of Pittsburgh and then she got into medical school. And so this was in the late 1950s um, where she was one of five women in her medical school class out of a hundred and something people. So I look at the struggles she went through and how she got to where she was. And then I looked at myself and said, you're not even struggling and you can't make a decision. So that was kind of like my basis for being so hard on myself and trying to figure out every next step versus, you know, enjoying the moments that I was in. And that was put on me. That wasn't anybody else putting it on me. That was, I, I put it on myself to, mm -hmm. you know, that, wait, if you're not struggling, you know, therefore something's wrong. Um, and yeah, ridiculous looking, looking at it now, but at, in the moment it seemed appropriate. Mm. It's interesting, as you said that something comes to Maine, and you kind of squashed it. But the point of it being you, not being anybody that anything anybody said, but there is a cultural dynamic of that that says, "I struggled to get where I am. You will not waste that struggle." And there is this idea at the same time. I think that are parallel thoughts that don't cross is. I worked hard to make it easier for you. Mm -hmm. But what does easier for you actually mean, right? And I think as parents, that's something that we should all reflect upon. Like, what do I want my kids to have it easier doing? Is it finding happiness? Is it exploring what they like? Is it, you know, just having access? Because, you know, that then means they have to struggle in the same way you did. Um, mm -hmm. What what changed over, like, you you got that you and then was it 95 you decided to go back to school to get an education degree still not acting 
Yeah, but still not acting. Still not acting. No. And still time. It was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I, I, it actually wasn't 95 when I went back to school. It was actually after I had all of the ki- the, the kids that I okay. went back to school to be a teacher. Yeah. And, you know, I went back because, you know, it, the joke in our house was that I already have, you know, a classroom. I might as well get paid for what I'm already doing. Um, it didn't really work that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it, again, it, it was another moment in my life, right? Like I learned so much from that period of time, going back to school, having six kids at home, going back to school, and also um, really seeing other people in the same position of trying to figure out what they want to do. You know, like, is this what I want to do with my life? And again, that goes back to like, if we're trying to decide at 18, like, how do, how do we know? And so, yeah, I did that for a bit. I worked um, only for about three years as a teacher and that's a whole story of, you know, salaries in the teaching world and childcare for six kids actually uh, tends to cost more when you really want to spend the time before and after school with students. Um, yeah. You really can't make those numbers work. And, you know, which is honestly ridiculous that that's how things, certain things in our society work. But I really took a lot away from those experiences. And again, a, a moment of my journey that I'm thankful that I had. My mom is a teacher, so I'm very familiar with that part of the, there were a lot of back and forth, like she was sometimes just stay at home, sometimes she was at school, sometimes she was a substitute teacher at our school, sometimes mm-hmm. she was a full-time teacher, and she's been a full-time teacher since we were probably in middle school, but look, for me, looking at her salary versus what she does has always been confusing to me, and it's, um, I actually did a speech my junior year breaking down the salary of Michael Jordan to the second and then doing like a firefighter and a teacher. And like the final question was just like, what do we value? Yeah. We say we value education, but we don't value educators. We say we value the family, but you can go watch 30 kids all day, teach them, educate them and spend time with them. But then what does that mean for being a mom? Right. Right. It's a, it's a cultural dynamic. I'm curious as we're talking about this journey, and I know it is super part of your mission to help other people find what they're meant to be and what they're meant to do. So like you're ready to go back to work, essentially. You went back to school. What made you decide to go to school and become an educator versus just going back to accounting? Yeah. I mean, that was one of those pieces of Again, my parents were fantastic, but you know, they did have these certain expectations while you're in our house, you follow our rules and and yeah, they they put in their time to get the the degrees and that they had and I think that they did look at things that here follow follow society's norms of you become a, a teacher, a doctor, you know, an accountant, a lawyer, um these kinds of things versus, you know, following your your passion. You know, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever love it. You know, I, I did work in it for a few years when I first got out of school, but I'm not a person that loves sitting behind a desk. Not that all accountants do that. So don't get mad at me, accountants out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I, I was, I didn't feel like I, I was making a difference. I mean, that's, mm. that's an important piece for me. Um, And as I got older, you know, I kind of realized the things that I really liked and, you know, the ways that I wanted to, to make a difference. And 
So I went back to school to be a teacher and, uh, and then reality set in of that, you know, this is, you know, with six kids, this is, uh, this is really hard to do and not be paying someone else to, to do it for me. I mean, it's crazy, but, but that was my reality. Did you, did you like teaching? I mean, I know you took a lot away from the value of teaching. Did you enjoy yeah, it? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, one of the experiences I had from during my time as a teacher was that we ended up with a foster child for nine months. Um, one of the girls in our class, in my class, she she had been gone for, I don't know, a week or two. And she it turns out that her parents had been arrested. And she was, at 10 years old, was um, in a teen shelter because there wasn't anyone to take her in. And so... Mm. When I heard about it, I called my husband. I said, what do you think? And he said, bring her home. And we still had a home study in place from Millie's adoption. And so she came and lived with us for nine months. Talk about eye-opening experience, um, you know, to to see the system. Um, that's a whole nother discussion. But, uh, you know, it was really something that we, you know, took away from my time as a teacher that, again, was completely life-changing. And if I wouldn't have decided to become a teacher, um, I wouldn't have had those experiences. So. Mm. So that wasn't a, a an impetus to adopt. What what was the impetus to to adopt for you guys? Like, what, was it just this is something we need to do, so we're going to go do it? So, I mean, I mentioned it before, but really, how it started was um, in between our first two. There's four years, and yeah. I wasn't getting pregnant after Jacob, and so we started talking about adoption. Um, I have cousins that adopted, and so you know, we started looking at the process and really felt connected to it. And then of course I found out that I was pregnant. So, um, that stopped that process. <laughs> and then once we were back in Florida, we had lived in Texas for a bit. And when we were back in Florida, you know, we started having that discussion. It's kind of now or never, are we going to do this? And, 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 you know, it really goes back to that, you know, we felt like we could be that family to, 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 to add to our family in a different way. So, so after teaching, you, you, left school, take care of the kids again? Is that, yeah, well, <laughs> I... um, for a little bit. And then I um, had an opportunity to go into medical sales. And like I said, I've done many <laughs> things. It. But this is good, yes. right? And we all, a lot of us get stuck. Um, so that exploration of trying different things, I think is super, it's, it's great. I think more of us could benefit from it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just that that's what kind of, I had a friend offer me a job and she said, you will be able to do this job with six kids. And so I did it and I did it for years and seven, eight years, something like that. Oh, and, wow. um, did I love it? No. Did it pay well? Yes. Um, you know, but I, what I did really like about it was, you know, the human interaction, the human connection piece, um, so I remember one time I was walking down and, and my husband is a physician. I don't know if I said that before, but we're um, walking down the hallway at the hospital and like three people in a row said, Hey, Simone, how's it going? Hey, Simone, how's it going? And my husband was like, I've worked here for like 15 years and I don't know any of these people. And I was like, take the time to have a conversation. Like these are really interesting people. Like they have... They do amazing things in their lives. And, you know, that really kind of changed his perspective. And he does that now. It's really funny. Like, um, and it, what happened for a bit was that um, people were saying, oh, people that didn't know him would say, oh, you're, you're Simone's husband. And um, he's like, 
I'm a doctor at the hospital and I'm now Simone's husband, you know? <laughs> and so like, and it was really funny. It was like, he's like, I think this is great that this like really brought my attention to how I just walk through life with my head down, mm. trying to get from one thing to the next versus seeing what else is out there. And, um, that was, that was a really, that was really fun for me. <laughs> Take the time to have a conversation. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Have yeah, you always done that? Not, no, I would say no, actually not until, uh, adulthood really. Um, I think really starting maybe back with the teaching stuff is really when I started having, um, more conversations, really, really appreciating, other people's lives and their experiences and learning from their experiences. But I think I walked with my head down for a long time. Um, and I don't consider myself an extrovert. Like I love talking to people, but I don't, I don't love just going out all the time. You know, if I'm out somewhere, I find that one person that I'll spend the time talking to the entire time and really, really learn something from from that moment, um, because that's important to me is that when I would sit down on a plane, I would start up a conversation and I've met amazing people by, you know, really being open to a conversation with a stranger. And my kids laugh at me and they think I'm probably out there because I do it all the time. They're like, oh, here she goes again. Watch, she's going to sit down there and she's going to start a conversation with that person. And, um, but you know what? I think it's good for them to see, you know, like, um, and the older kids do that now too. My family, what they do now is if they're, if they start a conversation with a stranger or if they're having a moment of extreme patience, they'll say, guess what? I pulled a Simone today. And, um, so it's, it's now got a label. So yeah, that example, I do do that, but I definitely got it from, pretty sure I got it from my dad. And then maybe both of my grandmas, uh, were very much like that. And, um, yeah, no, I, I I love it. I think it's 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 one of the things that's come out of having a podcast is getting to stop and pause and have a conversation with people, and then people listening and saying, "Oh my god, like where'd you meet them?" It's like I met Simone it's in amazing. Clubhouse. I just yeah. listened, and yeah. then like I met this guest at a panel, and I met this guest at a train station. You know, I don't know, like my neighbor. Like people are just interesting. If you yeah. give them a second yeah. to talk and stop judging them for whatever, you know, say the haircut, you don't like the haircuts. I can't talk yeah. to you. Um, <laughs> when yeah. you take the time to have a conversation, I think you truly realize how connected you are. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think we, we forget that so many times that, you know, we, we do start looking at the, what people are posting on social media or whatever. And then you have a conversation with them and they're like, wait, that isn't what they're about. Like we're reading too much into these things. Have a conversation. So especially when you're in a professional environment, we so lose sight of each other's humanity. Cause like your husband does what most people do. It's I've got to go from this thing to the next thing, to this thing, to the next thing. I do that way too often. And like, we'll go to a company event and Rodney will stop. It's, it's exhausting walking anywhere with Rodney because too. it's like, okay, we're going to stop here. And I'm a very much point A to point B person. Well, I'm not, but I, I act like that. It's like, oh, we got this thing to do. And then you're with Rodney and it's like 12 conversations yeah. that last. And it's so habitual that we all accept it. 
I'm trying to break that habit with myself of just taking the time and, you know, you can be honest and say, Hey, I've got somewhere to be, but you can still take the opportunity to connect with somebody no matter where you are. I had a question. You just did something, Keith. You said, I'm a very point A to B point B person. And you said, I'm not. So I know the context you're evaluating that story about yourself. Yeah. Simone, I think one of the things that we talked about, uh, maybe I heard it in clubhouse. No, I think we talked about it after when we were planning this. You talked about, I don't know if you were sitting at some, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was Tony Robbins or something like that, or you were listening to a motivational speaker and you were like, mm. and they were like, this can be you. And you're like, this can't be me. Yeah. Um, evaluating one story or the stories that you believe and tell yourself, what is your story? What has your journey with that been? And how did you get to the place now where you are and you're helping others evaluate theirs? Where you wrote a book to help other people evaluate. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that I, again, with that, the pieces of really not knowing what I wanted, right. And, and sitting there and the constant comparison with other people, well, why, why I should be able to do that. Why am I not doing that? Or why? And I, I was sitting at this event and I, there was this motivational speaker and she was amazing, right? Like she has done, she's, she created a $200 million company that she sold. She, you know, all of these different things that she did, she's standing on stage with complete self-confidence and I'm thinking to myself, like, I should be motivated by this. But right now I feel a little bit bad about myself because mm. this this is a moment in time where I'm like, that will never be me. And that was the moment in time where I said, and that's exactly how it should be. Not not that being like comparing myself to her saying she is she is who she is. I am who I am. And I need to be proud of me exactly how I am. I need to have the self-confidence and, and really believe in myself and really figure out, you know, that, that piece of me versus saying, well, that will never be me. Well, no, it's not, you're not meant to be that person. Like that wasn't, that's not, not something that it shouldn't be a comparison. And so that was kind of the beginning of the the process of writing the book, kind of taking that moment and saying, you know, you just need to change the way you see yourself. It's not about changing who you are. It's changing the way you see yourself. And and that was a really impactful moment for me. Uh, like th- there's so many things that I've done in my life comparing myself to other people and it doesn't get you anywhere because that's not you, right? And and that's kind of been the the journey since then of really taking a step back and saying saying to myself that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing the things that I want to do and mm. that's kind of been the big change for me. What's that so you have that moment but then that's followed by a process. What yeah. <laughs> has <laughs> like and, it's it's one of those things that uh, I never like to gloss over the process because it it takes time. What's been that process for you? Yeah, and I think it it it's not again. It's it's the journey of it. It's not the end mm-hmm. point, right? So like, um, do I? S- do I struggle? Absolutely. Everybody struggles. And if they tell you they don't, they're, they're not telling you the truth. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's every moment in our lives, you, you, you make a choice, right? You choose to go left, you choose to go right. You, um, and those choices kind of bring you forward. Um, I've done since that moment, really, you know, looking at myself and really changing my mindset is, is a daily thing. It isn't a, a one and done. It's, you know, when I talk to my kids about stuff, it's, you know, and I, I was going through the Starbucks drive through This is just a, a, a random funny story. Love and it. I got really frustrated because 
I was waiting in what I thought was an appropriate space, giving someone space back in case anybody needed to come through. And someone jumped in front of me and cut me in line. And I was really frustrated. Mm -hmm. And Millie, who's 13, said, I think you should go back and read your book, mom. (laughs) And I was like, take your own advice. Yes. I was like, you know what? You're right. I mean, again, so like to say that things are perfect, there's no perfection. There is everything is always a work in, in, in progress, but to really accept myself, who I am, you know, exactly how I am right now. So do I struggle with weight? Yeah, I struggle with weight, but I make those choices. I make the choice to, to drink wine instead of not drinking wine. Right. So like, if I just said, like, I want to be this because, you know, that's what everybody else sees me. Am I happy doing that? No. Like this is, this is who I meant to be. I have curly hair for years. I straightened it because, Mm. um, did I really like it better that way? No. Was it a, a shit ton of work? Yeah. And you know what? Like I, I, I like it the way it is. And, you know, I was trying to be something that I truly wasn't. And it was that, and that was the beginning of the realization of that. This is who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be you, not anybody else. I was actually, I was up in uh, Boston and I saw um, a nanny with two kids and one was trying to copy the other kid exactly. And she's like, stop trying to be Peter. Um, he's already taken. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's such a great thing for the nanny, the nanny to say to this kid. Um, mm-hmm. But it's true. Like, I think we have to be proud of who we are and, you know, and it's, and it's not a one and done. It's a, it's a constant conversation of it's in our house. It's can't means won't. So we don't use the word can't because mm. it just means you're not even going to try. And you're not um, taking accountability for it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and labeling m- myself of, um, I'm just, I'm just a stay at home mom. Um, I'm and going back to the, that's Simone's husband. Um, you know, I'm just Rob's wife or, you know, all of these things where these are all pieces of me. I am a mom. I did stay at home for a long time and I loved being home with my kids. So when, when I said, oh, I have to take time off for my career to raise my children, like this is such an important piece. It's not like, I I don't have to explain it to anybody what, what I'm doing because, you know, again, I want to raise good humans. Um, So I think we have to stop labeling ourselves. And that's one of the biggest things for me is I, I don't do that. I'm just, or, you know, I can't. Um, and I think that's been really, really helpful as I move forward. The comparison thing is one of my favorite coaches, Jim Harbaugh, was asked in an interview about two different players one time. And he said, you know what? I don't compare players because I, 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 don't, I don't compare people because in a comparison, one, one person is, is diminished. And that's really stuck with me. And then listening to you talk there like the just the kind of the fact of how our brains work we understand things with with how it relates to other things that we know so we just naturally compare like we, we just that is how our brain understands how we understand you versus Tina over there right but it's like the unchecked comparison where judgment and envy jealousy um who you know insert any, any number of things creep in on top of that comparison that keep us from kind of just seeing it as it actually is Mm -hmm. and seeing it for back seeing it instead of seeing how it is seeing is how we how we want it to be this is why i think the grass is greener because we look at tina over there it's like her house is so perfectly manicured 
and she's such a great pole vaulter because apparently I want to pole vault. But it's like, well, turns out like she's got a, you know, like without accounting for the things that, that allow that to happen. Maybe Tana spends an hour in her yard every day. Like, I don't know. Like there's, there's. And it's adding the kind of to the underlying theme of knowing what you want to do and being truly tapped into your essence and what you believe yourself to be true. I can look at you and say, you do all these amazing things. I want that. And asking yourself the question, well, what is it I want about that? Do I really want that? It's kind of like when I, you know, when you said, I don't know if I wanted to be an actor, but I wanted to be an actor. It's like, do I want that? I don't know. And we don't, we we don't do a good job inspecting that, especially with more information coming at us. And really, I don't do a good job. I'm really, my uh, spiritual advisor asked me yesterday, so what is it you value about balance? Like, is it just spending time in these particular areas? Like, what does balance actually mean? And I'm in a mind twist about it right now. Like, I'm I'm really trying to explore and understand, like, what? What do I mean when I say I I value balance above most things, right? Mm. So inspecting that and like I, I'm really curious and we're coming up on time, if you can believe it, because this is a lot of what you do and you help other people find. There's that moment, but what triggered you to explore that very fundamental component of you are $200 million company. I don't want to make a company mm-hmm. like you did. I want to do this thing. Like, how did you get to that place in order to write a book and have the, the, the gall to like put it on paper and say, Hey, I'm going to sell this to people. Right. Uh, like, Yeah. I mean, I, I think really taking a step back and saying, and I say this all the time, I'm an ordinary girl, right? Like I am, I raise my kids, I do the dishes, I do laundry. You know, I had, had have to take my car to the shop because I have a flat tire. Like I do all the regular things. That's what I do. So, you know, for me to change the way that I see myself, everybody can change the way they see themselves, you know, because I'm, I'm not like the celebrity on stage and we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to that. We should just really take a step back and, and going back to the, the, what we want to do. Um, I'm going to add this one story because I, I think it's important. Um, I climbed Kilimanjaro six years ago and I'll have people say to me all the time, I could never do that. And my question for them is, do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Mm. No, I would never want to do it. I was like, okay, so it's not, I could never do it. You don't want to do it. Like, so again, changing the way you, Mm. you talk about those things too, because you're putting yourself, yourself down for something that isn't even in your realm of desire. So, Mm. so, so don't look at that piece, look at it as no, I would never want to do that. That's fine. You know, but saying that you could never do that is a whole different ball game. Mm. Um, Oh, that's good. That is good. And and I guess even with that, like the celebrity on stage part, wanting to be that, it's like, well, do you know all the things that go into that? Uh, all the trips and traveling and time away from family and time away from friends and no privacy, like no privacy. Do you want that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, or can I mean, you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's really 
those are the things that I started looking at after that moment. Like, do I want to be that? Do I, is that what I want? No. So why am I looking at that? Like, mm. look at what I want and you know, the things that I can do anything I want to do. And I truly believe that after I climb Kilimanjaro, I'm like, okay, I can do this. Like this, these things are, and you know, but again, it's going back to, is this what you want? When did you first determine that you wanted to climb Kilimanjaro? Huh? Um, so it actually is one of those moments that just kind of happened where, um, and again, the way I tell my story versus I, it's, it's my perspective. And I think perspective is very important, um, mm. where, uh, a friend of ours had climbed it the year before and he called my husband and said, and there's going to be a trip this year. Are you interested? And in my mind, my husband said one, two, three, no, thank you. Call Simone. And, um, and he did. He called me and I said, I'm in, you know, like a challenge mixed with philanthropy. We were raising money for the Livestrong Foundation. And I was like, I'm in, you know, and did I ever climb anything before? No, I went camping a few times. Like this was like a brand new thing for me, but I wanted to do it. And I really wanted to challenge myself both mentally and physically. And again, life changing. Um, but it wasn't because someone else wanted me to do it. And mm. you you know, it was because it's what I wanted. Wow. We are wanting to talk for much longer because there's a lot more to, to go through and unpack. Um, but we are at time. And we always end with one us. final question. But first, yeah, I'll, I'll take it to the final. And But at first, I'll say thank you for, for being gracious with your time and your spirit and your energy. So much energy and your yeah, yeah this has been great your chillness it's just yeah. Yeah, that's like the the thing that that strikes me one of the main one of the things but you thank you i really enjoyed cool this as so. a polar bear's toenails Ooh, i like that <laughs> i think i'm gonna write that one down yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank outcast for that this one. is this um, is this has been great oh, um do yeah so our our final question is always what do you want to leave the audience with? What, what do you want them to think about or remember? So I really, what I'd really like them to take away from this and that don't put limits on yourself. Um, you know, okay. You want to be hard on yourself. If that's what you want to do. Okay. Be hard on yourself. You know, that's, I don't think you need to be hard on yourself. Um, I think that really looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you know, changing the way that you see yourself, knowing that you're capable of all of these things, that it's inside of you um, and you just have to, you know, want to do it. We all have that special piece inside of us that, that moves us forward and we just have to recognize and realize that it's there. 